rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. The time is 6.57 a.m. And you are listening to Good Morning, Aurora. And it's Monday, y'all. We are the second largest city's first daily news podcast. And there's a lot going on. Hopefully, you had a great Easter Sunday and Easter weekend. And hopefully, you went out for First Friday. Because we did. It was cool. We went out and splashed a little bit. Uh, Your favorite radio host and your favorite radio co-host, on Fridays, Jeanette, me and my sister from another mister, we went out and, you know, shook it up a little bit, went and uh, shouted out some of the spots downtown and made the rounds. So check out the uh, little compilation that we put together for First Friday's Returning, and that's on our YouTube page, and uh, we posted it on Facebook as well. So as you know, we got the news coming up that we do live on Facebook every morning, um, and that's going to be at 8 o'clock a.m., So I'm going to condense things and give you some of the headlines right now. And we're about to get into a great interview. All right. So if you're looking for a job um, on the 9th, so this Friday, there's the virtual career fair going on. Sponsored by Wabonzi Community College and IC3SP, which is Illinois Community College Career Services Professionals. It's also in partnership with IDES, which is the Illinois Department of Employment Security. Students and community members are welcome. Now you have to register. That registration link has been posted to our Facebook page and the entire post itself. So please take part in that. May 1st, there is the March or La Marcha for Immigration Reform, Legalization 2021. Uh, The meeting point will be at the corner of Claim and State Street in Aurora at noon. And uh, the time of the march will be at 1 p.m. And again, that's May 1st. So join this uh, to learn about and get involved with the demand for uh, immigration reform in 2021. Being put on here in Aurora by some of our local community partners. All right. The Aurora Rotary Club has two great initiatives going on. The first is the Diversity and Conclusion Inclusion excuse me, Scholarship. West Aurora and East Aurora High School seniors are eligible for a $1,000 scholarship, and the application is available at www.rotaryaurora.org and due by the 15th. And the next great thing that the club has going on is uh, there's, they're teaming up with Valley Dwell to have the Downtown Aurora Scavenger Hunt. Now, that'll be May 14th from 5 to 10 p.m. Teams of four are 150, and that includes drink tickets. The Hunt headquarters will be Valley Doyle, 28 West New York Street in downtown Aurora. Sign your team up today at rotaryaurora.org. All right. This is, oh, it's going to be an outdoor event encompassing a lot of territory downtown. Masks are required. Don't forget, coming up on Wednesday from 5 to 6.30 p.m., there's the Improving Procurement Policies and Practices uh, Disparity Study Virtual Meeting. That's being hosted by the City of Aurora in conjunction with Griffin and Strong PC. Uh, we posted this information and the link to register an RSVP on our Facebook page. So please check that out. And also, don't forget that the Aurora Regional Fire Museum has a meat raffle going on. Tickets are $25. 
each, and the drawing is on April 14th at 7 p.m. There's three prizes. The grand prize is the deluxe meat package, $370 value. Second place is the steak package, a $75 value. And third place is the griller's delight, a $50 value. Shouts out to our friends at the Aurora Regional Fire Museum. Okay. Um, don't forget, check out Cottonseed Creative Exchange, 8 North Broadway in downtown Aurora. We were kicking it there on Friday night. Shouts out to all the veteran-owned businesses here in the city of Aurora. And Cottonseed Creative Exchange is where you can get your Good Morning Aurora merch. So get your t-shirts. You know, it's getting nice out there. The weather is going to be t-shirt weather all around very, very, very soon. So make sure that you guys get your shirts, get the gear, get ready for spring and summer with Good Morning Aurora. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And if you're a trucker. If you're hauling coal or grain from Kentucky to Kenosha, Overcast and Breaker, you can find Good Morning Aurora on your apps. All right, get ready to tune in 8 a.m. on Facebook live and check out this great interview that we got coming up next. And that is the news. Okay, all right. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to have you on the show. It is so truly great to be here. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's been a it's been a while in the making, but we are here now. We're here. <laughs> um, for our listeners and our viewers, let us know who you are and where you're from. Sure. Uh, my name is Brooke Shanley, and I live here in Aurora in the Ninth Ward. I actually live um, in an apartment complex uh, near 34 in Farnsworth, and oddly enough. Because I live in the Kendall County portion of Aurora. So, you know, one of our four counties that make up Aurora, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. Yep. So I live in Kendall County. Um, but when I go to take my gra- my trash out to the dumpster, the other side of it is Kane. Like, I'm literally right on the line. Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah, Farnsworth and Ogden. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know that, that, that area pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird how that happens. Isn't that weird? And I swear, even talking to my neighbors, no one knows what county they're in because DuPage is just on the other side of the, the complex. Um, right. Because you have, the like, the cement quarry place that's right there. Yes. And you go over there and you hit DuPage. And so, depending on where you're searching, if like, if you're getting your car insurance or whatever, and they ask you what county you're in, they'll look it up for you. And, like, when I first moved here, they told me I lived in DuPage. Like, nah, bro, you got And it wasn't until I tried to vote in municipal elections that they're like, no, you live in Kendall. <laughs> oh, wow. So, I mean, and that was obviously years ago, and I've gotten that straightened out, but right. yeah. Interesting. Now, were you born and raised in Aurora? Are you from... A... No. No? No, I was um, born and raised in Roselle. Okay. So, still suburbs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I went to Lake Park High School, okay. which is part of the Upstate 8 Conference, and I was in track and field through all, all through high school. So, I did compete in the conference uh, and, and sectionals and regionals that, that were held at um, the East Aurora tr- track and field. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I actually have been, I've been do, in Aurora, at least in some way, shape, or form. Throughout part of my youth and into my adulthood prior to Very much familiar with what's going on here in the city. Yeah. Uh, what's Roselle like? Well, it's been a really long time since I've lived there. Okay. Um, I left Roselle when I was maybe 19. So I left home at 17, so just before graduating high school, mm-hmm. which 
that's a whole story in and of itself. But as, as um, high school typically is, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, something I, I, I don't typically share is that technically, and it, and it is technically, I did drop out my senior year mm-hmm. and then came back to graduate with my class at the end. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I was just uh, missing one class, so it wasn't too bad. Right, exactly. Um, now, growing up, what impact did your dad have in your life? Um, you know, growing up, honestly, I didn't see him a lot. Like, we were a cohesive family, you know, nuclear family unit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad was in sales, and he had an upper upper management type position right and the company that he worked for was based out of switzerland and did a lot in switzerland and germany and so he was constantly traveling mm-hmm. um i mean there's there's moments growing up with my dad that i remember like when i played softball and i was the pitcher he would be out there and you know he would help me train and right. and different things like that but um you know and the occasional daddy daughter dance and that kind of thing but as i i, I don't know that I can necessarily assign a role to him. I love my dad. I do. He's great. But, you know, just due to circumstances, trying to provide for our family, his job led him to travel a lot. Right. Um, is that where you got your independent streak? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and I yes. say that I say that purely in observation. You know, I, I, I just uh, I wonder, you know, because you seem to be a very independent, go-getting person. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, So now we are, here we are, we find ourselves running for alderman at large. And there's three different candidates. Uh, Well, you're one of three different candidates. Um, What does being an alderman mean to you? To me, being an alderman really means helping to make sure our city is the best that it can possibly be. Using what we have here and what truly makes us great, which is the people who, who share our city with us. Um, you know, as, as a teacher for 17 years now, you know, I've always dedicated myself to working with people, whether it be my students or the students in other classrooms or other grade levels, right? Um, but also their families and not just within any one particular school building, but in different districts, I had roles that did make it possible for me to interact and work with families in multiple buildings within the school district in different capacities. And so I've, and even in my union work, I have always strived to really make sure that we, as an organization, depending on what the organization is, um, that we make sure that we are lifting others up, that we're helping everybody to be living a life that is their utmost potential, their best self, if you will. Because when we make sure that everybody's okay, then we do better, right? Oh, yes. So, you know, and and while this is not assigned to him, um, I I had the privilege of uh, meeting William McNary at at a conference that I was at, he presented um, and came to spend time with us at one of our state level union meetings. Mm-hmm. And he he talked and he talked about the idea of when that that you that we all do better when we all do better, right? Right. Right. And it's so true. You know, that's something that I think has inherently been part of me throughout my entire life. 
just that that thought, that philosophy. But until I heard him talk about it, I didn't have the words to truly and accurately represent that. And so that really is who I am and what I believe and what I strive to work for. And what's the difference between alderman at large and just the alderman that everybody in the city pretty much knows about, I guess, regular alderman? What's the, what's the art at large add to it? So the at large, um, in its simplest form, just means that you are really involved and not assigned to one specific ward, but, okay. but that your district, if you will, is the entire scope of the city. Okay. Um, so geographically speaking, the constituency makeup for an at large alderman is the same as the constituency makeup for the mayor. Mm, okay. Because right? you're Got running it. the you're advocating for the whole city. Right. Right. And that's not to say that any specific word alderman doesn't look to advocate for the whole city because once again, <laughs> we all do better and we all do better, yes. right? Yep. And and so we need to make sure that we're working towards that. And our, our ward-specific aldermen do try to work together to, to make sure that we move our city forward as well as being part of a collaborative unit on the council. Um, what is your educational background post-high school? Okay, so I took some time off. So I left home at 17, so prior to my high school graduation. Um, and I took a couple classes here and there at like College of DuPage because of where I was living at the time. Um, but nothing consistent, nothing full-time, nothing even that we could say was part-time. We're talking mm -hmm. like a class here or a class there when I could afford to do so. Of course. Because I was busy working four and five jobs at one time just to be able to pay the rent, put food on the table, you know, those kind of things. The story of many people or perhaps too many people here. Too in, many people. Yep. Yep. Too many people. And I did that for many years and uh, can truly relate to the struggle of trying to balance so many work schedules with just what you need to do to live a, a normal, happy, healthy life. What does it mean? I mean, what when we talk about people who are literally working a few jobs to either make the rent or to pay for school, like, what can we as a society do to change that? I'm sure it's not a quick fix, but what... You know, <laughs> I think there is a lot that needs to change um, in, in order to really fix that. And it really starts on a very broad level. Right. Like or at least eventually needs to get there. Sure. Right. Um, in the city, at the municipal level, I'm sure there are things that we can do working in tandem with our different nonprofit organizations and different service entities within the city. Um, but if we're really looking to help people out we need to make a shift as a society as a whole and look at where our values are and that's a much harder shift and that involves a lot of education and a lot of soul searching on the part of individuals too right right um so you know just things like making sure we have affordable housing that helps right right um even things such as you know trying to change our perspective on a, what jobs are valued and which ones are not so valued, at least in the eyes of, of society, right? Um, because I'm sorry, I, I may be an educator, but that doesn't mean that I'm any more or less important than the letter carrier who's delivering my mail Absolutely. or the cashier at the grocery store who is helping me to be able to purchase the food 
that I need to put right. on my table, right? right. I, I, I don't see that there really needs to be any one of those positions that's more highly valued than the other because we all have a role to play. Yeah, I, I totally do. I agree with you. And I think that one of the things that is a positive that perhaps came out of a negative is that I think that all humans in America now during because of the pandemic can see that like, you know what? Um, yeah, you thought that the person in the hospital emptying the bedpans was just mm-hmm. whoever. Disposable. And that's not the case at all. No, it's not. That's not the case at all. And I think that, you know, the pandemic, for as stressful as it's been, for as much negative impact as it has had in the lives of so many people, I think it's really presented us with a really great opportunity as a a society. Because if we stop and think, you know, pre-COVID or pre-pandemic, if you will, yeah, we were, you know, as a society at large, we were doing stuff, we were moving, we were on that hamster wheel. Oh. Right? But where was that hamster wheel taking us? And I think, honestly, the only way we were going to be able to shift as a society was if something happened that caused us to literally stop. Yep. And that's what the pandemic has done. Yeah. It's, it really caused us to just stop, and it created this great pause in everything we did, just this great moment of pause, this moment to, to sit back where we were forced to spend time with ourselves, right? And our, our own people in our households and, or like me, I live alone, just myself and my parents, right? right. Um, you know, and, and sit back and have more than ample time to sort through your own personal thoughts and beliefs and your motives and your reasons for why you do things. And I think a lot of people are coming out of this um, quite changed. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a good thing. And as we're moving out of the pandemic, I think we need to revisit where we were pre-pandemic and make some adjustments. Because if we don't, I don't think we'll have really learned the lesson that we needed to learn during the pandemic. I agree. At least on a personal level, I was chasing it, right? I was chasing the proverbial, oh, yeah, I was in that, that wheel, right? I'm, you know... 200 bucks a month for the metro ticket and then it's an hour in and then eight to five and then an hour back yeah totally and you're you're chasing it right but what's your quality of life like and mm-hmm. i agree yeah COVID shut all that down and you have no choice but to reflect mm-hmm. definitely uh so now you were a teacher for 17 years i have been yeah Let's talk about that. So tell, take me to the first day of being a teacher. What was that like? What was, you know, when did you get the, how does it work for a teacher? You get the jacket? Where's the jackets back then? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's not Hogwarts. It's not Hogwarts. <laughs> She's like, jacket? What the hell? <laughs> okay. I've been watching a little too much Harry Potter. Right. Okay. Um, no, um, so, you know, most teachers will tell you that they wanted to be a teacher ever since they were teeny tiny, right? Like, they knew right away, and they'd play school at home with, you know, their dolls or their siblings or whatever, right? And and then they became the teacher and fulfilled their dream. I was not that person. <laughs> I was not that person. So growing up, I always wanted to become an attorney. I wanted to be a public defender. That was my biggest goal in life. Um, uh, Fortunately, unfortunately, um, my life took a different path. I didn't follow the, the, what we might consider the typical path out of high school, the 
the, that whole notion of, oh, I graduate high school, I go to college, I, you know, graduate, I get a job, I find a partner, I make a family, you know, purchase the house, blah, blah, blah. Kids, defense, the whole thing. Yeah, my life has not followed that path. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were going to be friends as soon as you walked in here. <laughs> my life has not followed that path. Right. So, so like we said, on a technicality, I, I dropped out of high school first semester of my senior year. I was only missing one class. Now, I was the kid that was in theater and on speech team and did track and took AP and honors courses. Um, and high school just was not my thing, though. It was not my thing. Um, and family life was was challenging for me. Right. Um, mostly because of a severe independent streak <laughs> that right. I may have inherited from my father. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I left home at 17, so prior to taking the class I needed to, to graduate, and then took a class or two here and there in my 20s while working multiple jobs. Um, and then at about 27, 28, I started attending Benedictine University full-time. And that's where I did my, my undergrad, and I studied Spanish. Um, because I said, okay, I have this opportunity now where I can go to school and study full-time. I am going to study something that I find pleasure in, something that makes me happy. And so I had always liked Spanish. Um, as a kid, we had Spanish-English dictionaries at home, and I'm not exactly sure why. Um, right. And Dad's I was working in, in Switzerland, but y'all got Spanish. <laughs> well, no. Very diverse in the well, in, okay, at home. So, so my mom did study to become a Spanish-language teacher mm -hmm. in college. She graduated college. My dad never did. Mm -hmm. um, but she never used her degree. She got married, stayed at home. She actually has even come to tell me that she never really wanted to teach. So, you know, I think it was one of the leftovers from, right. from her college days that just sat on the shelf and got dusty. But, uh, yeah, so I would sit there and read the dictionary as a kid because, you know, nerd, nerd, big nerd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> big nerd. Um, but I, and I didn't know any better when I was picking it up what it really was. Right. right. But it seems to be something, you know, as like in middle school you take Spanish. And then I started really liking the sound of it. So I would start putting on the radio in Spanish and doing different things. Right. I was just drawn to it. So when it came time for me to say, okay, I'm in my late 20s now. I have an opportunity to study full time. I don't have the luxury of changing a major multiple times. Right. And as much as I want to be an attorney, I really didn't see at that time how that was possible with the amount of years of schooling that that would entail. Right. So I said, okay, I'm going to major in Spanish, I'll minor in education, and this is going to be what it's going to be. I ended up dropping my minor, mm -hmm. so I only graduated with my major in Spanish. Um, before graduating, I ended up applying to a university in Mexico and getting accepted there. And so I drove to Monterrey, Mexico and rented an apartment and worked at a taco stand <laughs> and took classes in El Tecnológico, which is one of their, one of their um, private universities, but it, it's, it's really, um, it's got a good reputation. It's got a really good reputation. So that's where I went and I came back and didn't know what I was going to do. And I found a private school that was looking for a Spanish teacher. You didn't have to be certified or anything. And so I taught Spanish to pre-K through fourth graders. And I also worked for little friends, um, doing in-home respite care for children with autism. Um, hence my blue today. It shouts is. Shouts out. Shouts out. Light it up blue. That's right. Um, and then, uh, you know, after that, I picked up 
I was also working as a, a teacher's assistant in, in District 203, a bilingual teacher assistant, so I was managing, again, right. multiple jobs. Yeah. Um, but luckily, the director of ELL services in, in District 203 told me about this way that I could actually teach in bilingual classrooms. Okay. And so... I did exactly what she told me to do, which was get myself a substitute teaching certificate, take the state test to prove that I was actually fluent in Spanish, um, not just speaking, but reading and writing as well. Certainly. And, um, and then take that to the ROE and say, here, and they give you a teaching certificate. So that is what I did. Now, the certificate was only valid for a certain period of time. It was mm -hmm. temporary and contingent upon you going back to school. I wasn't certain that I really wanted to stay in the elementary level at that point in time. Like, I was like, no, maybe I'll go um, get my PhD in Romance Language and Literature. I wanted to go to University of Chicago and then become, like, a college professor and do research and that kind of stuff. That interested me at the time. But I also knew I had to pay the bills. And I also knew I was really tired of working multiple jobs at the same time. Ooh. So I... You know, in the process of getting my teaching certificate, I started a master's program at Loyola, um, going towards that first avenue of thought. I did a master's in uh, Spanish language and literature. And uh, then, you know, as I'm working on that, I'm realizing, wow, well, I actually need to get a teaching license. So as I was finishing up that master's, I started another master's program <laughs> at DePaul. Okay. Um, I started, I, uh, I, and I've completed all the coursework towards, I just need to do my final paper, um, towards a master's of education in bilingual bicultural education. Okay. So I've done that as well. And they were happening simultaneously while I was teaching. And once I was done with all my classes, mm -hmm. it was nice to just have one job again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I quickly filled up that space doing other things though, right? Because that's just what I do. You do a lot of community stuff. Like a, a lot. Um, I think I've even seen pictures of you gardening. Really? I think so. Uh, I think it may have been one of the community gardens or Marie Wilkinson's. No. Well, okay. I, I, this is on me, so I'll have to go back and check my... Uh, <laughs> Let me know because, my... <laughs> because I do do quite a few things, and so maybe it's just one of those moments that isn't clicking for me right okay. now because this is my first coffee of the day. <laughs> ah, yes. Okay. Um, so... What was Monterey, Mexico like? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, is Monterey a state? No. It okay. is a city in the state of Nuevo León. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is about three hours from Laredo, Texas. So super close to the border. Um, it is, oof, well at the time it was, I think it still might be, the third largest city in the country. Okay. Um, so huge, huge metropolitan area. Right. Amazing museums, um, great green spaces to go visit. Um, just, just absolutely fabulous. I, I had the best time living there. I really did. And I, you know, I took advantage of my time there too and made sure I traveled. To date, I actually have traveled to more states in Mexico than I have here in the U.S., um, which I'm hoping to rectify at some point. <laughs> but, um... You know, it was just because how life played out, right? Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. And that's still that's still really good and very, uh, being very well-traveled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. Um, so there are basically, there's four pillars 
which make up your message. Okay, we're going to talk about those and what an aldermanship of Brooke Shanley would look like. So let's talk about reducing property taxes. Okay, um, I'm the resident. How are we going to do that, Brooke? First and foremost, we need to look at our city budget. Um, you know, any city's budget is a reflection of a city's morals and values, right? And its priorities. Um, I, you know, we work with in a really, really large budget here in the city, and the people who spend countless hours trying to put it together, I am not in any way, shape, or form discounting that effort or their work because it is not an easy task. But I think we really need to sit down with it now more than ever, especially um, as we're still in the pandemic and hopefully coming out of. And, and we need to look to make sure that it truly does align with our values going forward, right? Because like I said earlier in our conversation, it, it, you're, and I'm not sure if we were on, on, on air at that point in time. I don't think we were. That makes it, that makes it even more fun. And like, what? We need that bonus material. <laughs> right? Like the people the society we were uh, before COVID hit is drastically different than who we hopefully will be coming out on the other side of it. And so just because of circumstance, we're going to need to sit down and really reevaluate some of our stuff. So looking at the budget to see what we can do, whether it's grant funds coming in or different extra funding coming in federally. I know that, you know, the counties are getting different CARES funding. Mm -hmm. Um in quite large amounts and um, you know really getting creative with that so that we can help to alleviate some of the burden that our residents are really shouldering for us as a city um, and it's and they shouldn't be and they shouldn't be so that's step one now income tax or not income property taxes are a complex situation because it's not just an effort at the municipal level right we need to look at the county and state levels too. And so that means sitting down and having tough conversations with other elected officials and working collaboratively to create something that will create the greatest good for the most amount of people. I will note that you used emphasis on that word collaboratively. Yes. That's right. None of this can be done in isolation and nothing can move forward just because one person wants it to. Responsiveness and transparency. Let's talk about that. Sure. Um, you know, as alderman at large, I am responsible for the constituency of the entire city. Right. Right. Um, and I have done a, I feel, a fairly good job to date uh, responding to emails and phone calls and, and such from constituents that have reached out to me throughout the campaign. Um, it's, it's something that I work on daily, even just with my students and their families, making sure that I'm available and able to answer their questions. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so it's a skill set that I already have, and I'm just going to transfer over and amplify. Right. Um, obviously, in in my position, I would like to I would like to have monthly Zoom calls, but I'd also like to incorporate in person when it's safe to do so. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the, the the Zoom meetings should die out. I think it does provide a higher level of access to people who maybe can't come to an in person meeting for whatever reason. Right. Um, as a city. I think that one of the positive effects of, of COVID has been that all of these committee meetings are now online. Yes. Right? I think this is huge as far as transparency. It's a great step forward, but it's just that. It's a step forward. And 
you know, there were things in place prior to COVID. There's things that have come up about during COVID. Um, like, but in order to be truly transparent, you need to make sure that everybody has access. Without that access piece, you're you're not there. You could put everything online, but if no one can get to it, right. you're still not being transparent, right? Um, the The intent may be there, but the end result is not that. Of course. So, you know, we have the city of Aurora in Espanol, right, where we stream all these meetings in English. Right. I'm sorry, but it is city of Aurora in Espanol. So if the point is to reach our residents who prefer, either need or prefer to have their information in Spanish, then we're not meeting that goal because we're providing them everything. We're providing our English speaking constituency. Right. Right. When we're, we're titling it under Espanol, which becomes almost a misnomer at that point. Sure. And, you know, sitting in this room with you, I see a lot of equipment and I know we have a very large staff. I, I can't imagine, while it would require time and effort, I think once a process was really laid out, having some type of captioning or dubbing, even if it happened, you know, after the production was streamed, I think it would go a long way in creating access. Now, that being said, this is all stuff that is done through a technological medium. Not every resident in the city, in fact, a large number of residents of the city, either don't have the technology or don't have or have tools but don't know how to use them mm -hmm. um, to or only have varying degrees of familiarity with use. Right. Right. Um, there, there's a lot of different factors there that prevent someone from being able to access uh, content online. Absolutely. And so then the next piece that we need to do to increase transparency is in that access piece again, mm -hmm. right? We need to make sure that all our residents in the city have access to internet connection, the technology to connect to that internet connection, and the know-how for accessing information. And I think we can team up with different, different organizations across the city, part of it being the public library, Part of it, even looking at some of our, our um, existing groups like Invest Aurora, as far as that technology piece, mm -hmm. um, there, there are a lot of different things that we could access to make sure that that happened, and it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. If the school district I work for, at the beginning of the pandemic, could find a way to get every single student internet connectivity and a device, then I think as the city we can do that as well. And what did, 131? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's mm -hmm. right. Uh, that was a big thing. That, that was in our that was thing. in our news. Yeah, we put that out there. Heck that yeah. That is a big thing, and they didn't do it just for our city, but they also shared devices with us. We go three hundred eight. Shouts out to EASD one three one. Next, ending pay to play. Ending, excuse me. Ending pay to play politics. Sure, and that goes along with transparency, right? Um, we want to make sure that everything goes through the right processes and procedures within the city. Are we, you know, following the, the codes and, and the policies and, and the actual letter of it and the intent? Mm -hmm. um, when we go ahead and put out uh, contracts to bid, 
when we are bringing different groups into the city to do business with the city? Are, are we following everything we need to follow? And are we being transparent in um, releasing that information to the public? Right? Are we doing that? And then when that's all out in the open, are we seeing some connections that maybe we shouldn't be seeing or trends that we shouldn't be seeing? Right. Um, and, and I think that, you know, pay to play is unfortunately kind of, it ends up getting linked in with politics and, and business and government. Like it, it just kind of, and the bigger the city, the more it's there, right? It's literally like the floaty that comes with the pool, kind of. Yeah. It's, and it's so <laughs> sad to have to acknowledge it. And it doesn't it, but need yeah. to be there. Right. It doesn't need to be there because, you know, the city council, they, they, they pushed forth an ethics ordinance. Yeah. And I remember the conversation around it, too. Like, the conversation at the time, because that was the last municipal cycle, that that was really, you know, kind of at the forefront. You know, the, the big thing that people were saying on the council was that, and I'm totally paraphrasing, but that, you know, oh, well, the Illinois State Board of Elections, because the big thing was the cap on can campaign contributions at the time. Right. And it's still a thing, it, this yeah. cycle, right? It hasn't changed. It hasn't morphed yeah. or gone anywhere. Um, but the, the talk at the time and the reason for not instilling um, lower caps on the uh, campaign contributions was that, the State Board of Elections in their campaign financing already has in their policies, you know, established caps sure. for the campaign contributions. To that I say, okay, good. They set the base. Right. Don't we want to raise the bar? Right. Like, shouldn't we strive to do better than the bare minimum? I, 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 who wants to just do the bare... <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe I'm an overachiever, but... <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, and, and too, like, at the end of the day, the government is supposed to represent the people, right? We're supposed to work collaboratively right. with all of the entities that make up our city. Right. And that's our residents, first and foremost, and then our businesses and different organizations in the community. Because just because you're a business or an organization doesn't mean you're not a constituent right? You're part of that city. Absolutely. You're part of the functioning of the city. You're no less important. But we need to actually be working for and with all of the entities and I, people, and not just the ones that have been helpful to to any one specific elected official. Certainly. Financial responsibility, which seems to tie into the last true <laughs> things we were talking about. Um, but yeah, let's tackle financial responsibility. Sure. And that's just really making sure that our budget truly reflects our morals and our values and our priorities moving forward. Um, what does America mean to you? Ooh, that's a big one. What does America mean to me? Ideally, I, I would like to see, and my, my vision of America would be one where everybody was able to really have what they need as they need it in order to live the best life for them, right? Because my idea of what my best life is 
may not be the uh, your idea of what your best life is, right? right? Because we're we're different people, right? But we should all have the opportunity and the access and the resources necessary to be able to establish that. And I'd like, you know, ideally that would mean people working together. Right. Right? Collaboratively. But it's not about anyone trying to get to that upper one, that one percent. Right. Right? Maybe if that's your dream and that's your best life is to be part of the one percent, great, kudos, great, fabulous. But please bring some other people along with you. Yeah, and you should not be striving to get there on the backs of other people. It's no. not you, you don't get there by stepping on people. No, no, no. Because in, in an ideal America, as in any, any, and it applies to ideal leadership, too. Like, as a leader, in any capacity, right, the first thing you should be doing once you step into that leadership role is looking behind you to see who you're going to bring up next. Absolutely. Girl, preach. It's not about getting there and saying, oh, now I have all the power and what am I going to do with it? No. No, you may have greater access to a variety of things, resources, finances, whatever, but your goal shouldn't be that this is where I'm going to be and I'm going to keep everybody out of it. No, you, you have to look back and try to bring people up behind you and help lift others up so even if they're not looking to step into your leadership role, that they can fill another vacancy. Right. Right? One that aligns with what they want to do. And so it's always about looking for that that next pool to lift up. Totally agree with that. Um, now, you're the VP of a local union? I am. What union is that? So I am currently the vice president of AFT Local 604. When um, two years ago I um, was, I left my position teaching in the Villa Park School District. Um, to come here and dedicate my time to the East Aurora School District. Uh, it meant a lot of different things, one of which was giving up my tenure and starting from zero. Mm. The other piece of it was changing my union affiliation and starting from zero. What was that like? Um, you know, it, it was a transition. <laughs> and as with any transition, there were positive experiences and others that were a bit more challenging, right? right? Um, within IEA and NEA, I, I did a lot of work. I was the actual president of the Villa Park Educator Association, so the Villa Park Teacher Union, I was their president. And then the region council that they um, flowed into, mm -hmm. it was the vice chair and had just been elected to be the chair of that region council. Wonderful. Um, which served, if I remember correctly, 12 different school districts worth of unions. Wow. Um, and would have given me a seat on the board of directors for, for the IEA. Um, so then I come here to East Aurora and I start over with IFT and AFT and immediately jump right in because I've been back in East Aurora for two years now. Hmm. And I have uh, gone, yeah, I've already become the vice president of AFT 604. And, and what so, does yeah. AFT stand for? The American Federation of Teachers. Okay, all right. We get a lot of, we get a lot of acronyms on this show. So we, we got, I got to, <laughs> I've typed up things that have been wrong. ROE, return on everybody. No, it's no. Regional Office, Office of, of Education. Education. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, now, what's the biggest impact that COVID has had on your life? <sighs> well, back in spring of last year, I actually had COVID. Um, thankfully I was able to stay at home and take care of myself and right. like, it was fine. Um, well, as fine as it can be. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
but that's certainly not the biggest impact. So I've lived alone for basically my entire adult life, right? Um, and I like living alone, um, at least for now, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's not something I have an issue with or I wouldn't keep doing it. Uh, but it's one thing to live alone when you're able to go about all these different activities. Like I'm a person who keeps really busy, right? I go to school, I teach, I handle my union work, I'm involved in different community events, I'm involved in different political things. And so, you know, while living alone, I never actually, I don't spend a lot of time alone. I know what you mean by that. Right? Yes. Yep. Um, and my family, the vast majority of my family lives out of state. So that wasn't, that's not part of my day-to-day -day prior to COVID either. Right. Um, COVID hits and everybody's, you know, on lockdown, if you will. Yep. And it was very sudden and very drastic and just really coming to terms with the fact that, wow, I'm alone in my house <laughs> for many, many hours right. in a row, many days, Super. many weeks. It really forced me to like say, okay, what, who, who is Brooke really and what are we going to do? And so there was that internal struggle because... You know, and, and, and part of being a teacher is teaching and being a teacher becomes your identity. If anybody asks me, first and foremost, you know, like, hey, Brooke, so who are you? Oh, I'm a teacher. That's like the first thing that's going to come out of my mouth. Right. Um, so really, even though I was teaching, everything literally stopped for a period of weeks. And then as things slowly took on the Zoom mode of things. Right. You know, that was another adjustment, but it was really just that time to really sit and say, okay, who am I as a person? What am I going to learn about myself during this time? Right. Because I'm going to use this time and give it value. Now, uh, it was Wednesday evening that you took part in the NAACP yeah. um, Zoom. How did that go? You know, I, I was really happy with the experience okay. on, on the forum. I, I think the NAACP did an excellent job um, hosting and, uh, let me see if I can find the word in English. Sometimes my brain gets stuck. <laughs> Were you going to use it in Spanish? You can use it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Moderating. There we go. <laughs> Moderating the forum. Um, you know, they, they were an absolute joy. Patrick Watson... He's great. He's great. I have attended other Zooms of his um, for like phone banking right. and, and different things, different trainings he's done. I've attended those. And so he's just always a joy as far as just calling and following up and, and the emails and everything. And it different from the mayoral forum, <laughs> it was a much more civilized forum. Oh, right. <laughs> It was a much more civilized forum, and and that was good, and I think that just speaks to the integrity and the professionalism of, of all the candidates. Right. Good stuff. All right, now, um, we saw in the election, which was in February, so the, the township election, I think it came out that the Kane County clerk, Mr. John Cunningham, said that it was dismal. Mm -hmm. uh, turnout was dismal. We saw how bad it was. What can we... Uh, yourself as a leader, but us a general public, what can we do to boost that up, right? How can we go about having more people take part in the voting process and getting getting involved? Yeah. Well, I think it starts with education. People need to 
see value in going to the voting booth to cast a ballot. And while I see the value of it, it doesn't mean that someone else does, right? right? I'm kind of in the thick of things. And, and the things that I enjoy in life lend have pushed me in a direction that says, no, voting is important. This is what you got to do. Some people have grown up in families where the family unit has always made it in it almost like an activity or a field trip, like something that you do together as a family unit. You go and you vote. It mm -hmm. becomes a tradition. It's part of their family dynamic. After that, we're going to get ice cream. That's right. Um, so some people grow up that way, but other people don't. And there are narratives um, among people that know my vote doesn't matter, my vote doesn't count, mm -hmm. I'm going to vote, and it doesn't matter because the person that all of the candidates, whoever's elected, they're just going to do the status quo anyway. They're not going to try to change anything. It's not going to make any difference, and we're going to keep going, and the issues are going to stay the same. And unfortunately, that type of narrative leads fewer and fewer people to participate in the process. Is there any truth to that narrative, even a grain? I think there is. I think there is, because as with anything, any, any stereotype, has some essence of truth to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think given past scenarios and past experiences, you know, people just see that things don't really change. Right. My thought is just because it's not changing now or it hasn't changed before doesn't mean it can't. It doesn't make it impossible. But it will be impossible if we continue to have fewer and fewer people turn out to vote, if we have fewer and fewer people participating in politics, I, I can't even tell you how much I cringe when people say, oh, I'm not political. Oh, I hate that too. I, I cringe. Like, every cell in my body just, like, shrivels up. Like, like raise like, it. Ew. Like, it's awful. Yeah. Um, like, okay, check, please. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Like, okay, we can't be friends. I'm right, sorry. yeah, yeah. No, that's not true. <laughs> As your friend, I would try to slowly push you to see that. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Being political is not necessarily how you're framing it. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, so there's a huge education piece, and I think that we need to work in our own neighborhoods, right? Yeah. Start, start on your own street. Start on your own block. I'm going to go vote. This is why it's important. Talk, actually have those conversations. Right. Do so respectfully, but have the conversations and see if you can bring one or two people with you or three or four people with you. Socially distanced, masks on, right? right? Yep. But um, most of the line is outside these days anyway, so bring a couple people, stand far apart, visit with your friends for a couple minutes, and, and, and go cast your vote based on an informed decision. Right. You know, there, there is truth, and, and I've heard it said that, you know, politicians don't, don't make enough effort to reach out to people, or you haven't reached out to me personally. And, and, and I understand that. I do. But I also understand that depending on the race, you may be trying to reach over 200,000 people mm -hmm. in a matter of a couple months. Right. And while you want to, logistically, 
it's extremely difficult being one person. Of course. Right? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. um, hence, any good candidate is going to have multiple platforms from which people can access information. Right. And engage with you, too. And engage. Yeah. And engage. Um, and so if we really look at politics and we look at the root of the word poly, it means pueblo. It means the city. It means the, the people there. Right. And, and without the people, it doesn't work, right? And so just as candidates need to reach out to the constituency and the voters and the residents, the voters and the residents need to come in and meet halfway, too. Yes, they do. They do. They do. Yeah, they, yeah. And that's not in my race. That's, that's any race, right? And so me as a resident, you know, looking at school board members, for example, I live within the uh, 308 school district, boundaries hmm. you know we have a big school board race going on right now it's a large district i don't expect that every single candidate is going to come find me in my apartment and knock on my door right, right? Yeah. yeah so i make sure that i make sure i have i have visited all of their websites i have visited their social media platforms and in a few cases, I've been able to engage and interact with the candidates, right, to become informed. And, and that's what I do as a resident. Absolutely. Right, to make sure that, that that's happening. Um, candidates need to do what they can to reach out. Candidates need to do what they can to motivate people. But people need to understand that they're voting for their day-to-day -day experience. Right. They're voting for their livelihood. Exactly. Livelihood sounds a little bit more dangerous than like day-to-day <laughs> -day experience. I'll, what Brooke said is correct. <laughs> That's why I just ask questions and shut up. Um, no, but um, so I've seen and I, I watch the, I love politics. I've watched and I'm tuned in to all of the city council meetings, right? And, and you see things from people that are not things that an alderman takes care of, or they write their senator about things that a senator does not take care of. That basic educational piece, that it's basic, it, it is critical. It's people, critical. Yes, people should understand what they're doing. But also, like, I feel, and I've mentioned this, like, if you, if you're mad enough to march down a street with the bottles of water and the bullhorn and the granola bars, you should go sit there. As they debate whatever they're talking about, you know, you, you you should be just as just as engaged. Sure. Just as engaged. I agree with that. And, and and here's the thing. There is space and purpose to marches and rallies. Of course. There there is, um, but the march or the rally, it isn't about that moment. It is about what you do with the energy from that moment afterwards. There you go. And how you're using it to engage not only yourself, but others. Right. Let's take that energy and hopefully perhaps change some legislation or get some new... Exactly. Right. So, is Treadwell your favorite coffee spot or did you just... We just <laughs> did we just match it today? <laughs> I like Treadwell, but I am also a fan of Enduro and Society 57 and I try to frequent all of them because they are all businesses that are trying to stay afloat within our community. Right. And so I try to spread the wealth a little bit. <laughs> got to, got to. Um, now, before the pandemic, what are some things that you, use, that you like to do? Um, in the city 
Sure. Um, definitely First Fridays. And I am so excited that tonight we have First Fridays again. It's going Woo-hoo. down, Yay. coming back, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, I will be there, so <laughs> it'll be great. Hopefully I'll see some people, but I'll be out there as the candidate, you know, with my little flyers. Sure. Um, but I did appreciate going and attending as not a candidate, <laughs> right? Right. Where I actually got to visit the different... Um, the different art displays and the different activities um, and and visit some of the shops and maybe spend a little too much money mm-hmm. supporting our local businesses. But that's good. But that's a good thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> good for the businesses, maybe not so good for my bank account, but right. that's okay. <laughs> it's worth it. Um, yeah, so First Friday's definitely high on the list. Uh, I, I enjoy really just hang out at our eateries. Some of our eateries are great. Like, yeah. shout out to Gillerson's because I, I their cheese curds, oh my gosh. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I hear good things about those cheese curds. <laughs> those, that... those cheese curds are. Okay. Oof. Um, and then, you know, we've got some really great pop-ups and stuff going on in our city. So, like, during the pandemic, like last summer when I actually had some time, um, I was able to help in the kitchen with... Um, and I'm not saying this as a candidate. This is just Brooke the resident. Um, I don't want to jeopardize anyone's C3 status. Right. <laughs> Brooke the resident um, really enjoyed partaking in uh, Goldfinch Cafe's uh, brown bag lunch assembly. Yes, right. Right, for Hassett House. Um, that was something that I truly enjoyed doing. And I'm hoping this summer that they're going to continue that so that I can continue to to partake in that effort with them. Um I like some of our pop-up foodies and Mm -hmm. restaurateurs, if you will. Um, I know tonight I will definitely be uh, having some pulled pork sandwich from Strawberries Barbecue (laughs) because they are amazing. Shout out. Yep. (laughs) Um, So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, just just hanging with friends and and staying in the downtown area. That's kind of where I like to be. that doesn't mean there's not great things going on in the rest of the city. It's just for me, the downtown area is a hop, skip, and a jump away. Right. Oh, and Dairy Delight. You will always find me at Dairy Delight. East Side. Shout East out. Side. Yeah, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Dairy Delight. I may be single-handedly keeping them in business these days. <laughs> Shouts out to Dairy Delight, y'all. Yeah. Um, who are some of your mentors? Personally, professionally, politically. All of the above. All of the above. There's so many people that have influenced me, honestly. Um, personally, people that I admire, that I've had the, the profound uh, privilege of meeting even once in my lifetime. Um, Rigoberta Menchu who was over here at East Aurora um, with Peace Jam years back. Uh, mm-hmm. Why does that sound? It's an organization. Oh, okay. <laughs> Works with students. <laughs> um, so she came as a guest speaker, and so that that was just amazing. She has such an aura about her of just humility and love. It's so cool. Um, while I was living in Mexico, I had the um, opportunity to meet several authors and historians that I'm fond of. And even here, um, 
well, in Chicago at the National Museum of Mexican Arts, I, I go there for different presentations and talks mm -hmm. and stuff they have. So I've gotten a chance to meet people like Elena Poniatowska, who's just wildly world-renowned um, writer, and then the late Eduardo Galeano, who is out of South America. Um, just people like that have really really played their their work their written work has really influenced me as a person um you know within the political sphere i i have people who have mentored me with this being a nonpartisan race coming up i'd like to certainly sure <laughs> but i am very very grateful to have the people in my corner who i do Good. They are amazing individuals who are extremely dedicated to the work that they do and to making sure that our communities are are at doing their best at any given moment. Right. Um, so <clears throat> now the, uh, the election is uh, the 6th is Tuesday of next week. Yes, but you can vote today. But you can vote today. That is right. You can definitely exercise and go do so. Um, so that's the biggest thing coming up. But uh, what else? Does Brooke Shanley have coming up? What's 2021 look like for Brooke? Oh, you know, it's a blank canvas right now. And I'm not used to that, but it's a blank canvas right now. So we'll see where I end up. It seems like a, a, a optimistic and a positive canvas, though. That's my words. I'll, I'll, I'll guess that. Life is always good, and there is always something good on its way. The show ends on a positive note. What is your message to the people of Aurora today? <sighs> Go vote. <laughs> please vote. <laughs> vote for whoever you feel you need to vote for, but please vote. Right. Um, but embrace each other. Embrace everybody and everything that makes our city as absolutely wonderful as it is. Because our city is truly amazing. Is truly amazing and has so much potential. And we're only going to realize that potential when we embrace our neighbors. On behalf of Good Morning Aurora, we really appreciate you uh, taking some time to sit down with us. Thank you. I appreciate being here. It's been fun. All of you wonderful listeners and viewers, please exercise your right to vote. Yes. Please do that. And uh, we will see you guys back here tomorrow for another great episode and interview. Peace out.